I'm Kev Jackson. Welcome to ChatPod, the Chat About podcast. Once again, the Sheriff of Beltrami County is joining us, Jason Riggs. Jason, welcome back to the show. Good day, sir. Thank you for having me. Well, um, we're into February now. Um, it's still warmer. It's raining. Let's just start with the ice situation, something you guys have to keep tabs on. What are the recommendations? What are, are, are there any restrictions right now? If not, what are the recommendations? We don't have any restrictions right now as the, as the sheriff's office. I, I, know the st- I don't think the state does either. Um, the weather that we've been having, I know that there's still ice. We're routinely checking ice on, on several lakes. We just checked uh, Bemidji right before the polar days, uh, polar plunge and all that stuff. And where they had their event, it was fairly shallow. So we were pretty, we were pretty okay with uh, what they were going to be doing out there. But we did go out and check for them and, you know, at that time there was there was enough ice for to support that event. Um, we've heard as much in this last two weeks as some lakes losing up to upwards of four inches. Oh, okay. Um, and with this rain yesterday, obviously uh, water draining off the top of the lake in through some some of the holes and cracks, it's going to start creating some some weak spots again. So strongly encourage folks if you're going out on the lakes to. Treat this like it's not February. Treat this like it's like November, you know, time frame mm-hmm. that you're checking your ice routinely. Um, know where you're going to be going and, and and just don't, you know, rely on the fact that you had, you know, 14, 15 inches of ice, you know, two weeks ago. Is there a, a an ice width in which you would put restrictions on? No. Um, I... I, I you know, typically when we do a restriction, it's for a particular body of water. It's and they're all and, and that's how statute reads. It's got to be a particular reason why. And you know, when we when we did the close the lake down in uh, Upper Red Lake in December, it was due to the fact that we were just having so many people having to be rescued off those lakes. You know, typically as a regular year goes by, you know, people go out in November, late November, early December, and they test the ice. And, you know, we don't have too many issues. We have, you know, we, we'll probably do five to, you know, seven, eight rescues a year on all of our area lakes. But when you have, you know, some sp- specific reasons to do it, uh, people just have to use good common sense. And, and you know, at some point, people have to be responsible for themselves and the people that they're with and not rely on, you know, us to, to, to make those decisions yeah. for them. So I know a lot of us, um, pretty much think of the DNR conservation officers as the ones that enforce laws on the water and the woods and things like that. But I know you've, you've got a deputy or some deputies that, uh, haul the boat around and are out on the water too. Uh, are you, are you looking for the same laws or, or what, what is your role? We typically don't do, uh, enforcement of of uh, DNR violations, we we will assist them, and if we find things that are grossly like, you know, if we if we came across a fisherman that had way more fish than they were supposed to have, or they were fishing in a manner that they they weren't supposed to be, we would we would detain and hold them for the DNR to come and and, and take action with. Um, we're more uh, our grants for boat and water are for safety. So we're out there checking for the requirements pertaining to what boats are required to have with 
you know, a horn, a whistle, lights, um, those kinds of things. Life jackets uh, in the boat, um, you know, kids, they're compulsory up to a certain age. Uh, adults have to have enough, you know, wearable life jackets in the boat. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're looking for those kinds of things. And we're also looking for impaired boaters. You know, those are some of the things that we, we are concerned about as well. We've had fatalities on the water as a result of boats crashing into one another or boats hitting, you know, uh, rafts or docks or whatnot. So we're, we're out there looking for those kinds of things. Okay, gotcha. Um, one of the things you mentioned before we got rolling here was uh, you have got your new computer-aided dispatch and records management in. That That's not glamorous uh, law enforcement work, but obviously very important. And if it's anything like computer stuff we do here, incredibly kind, time-consuming and really frustrating at times. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. So I was, just to give you a little bit of a background, we've had our current... Uh, system or our, our former system uh, from September of 2011 to uh, our go live date, which was January uh, 29th, um, with our new product. Our, our older product was called uh, LETG. It was a program that was developed by a Minnesota police officer down in Woodbury. And we were really, you know, satisfied with that. Those, that's what controls, you know, like when you call in a, uh, you know, complaint or a 911 call to dispatch, that computer-aided dispatching assists them with programming information into a computer. It goes, it's the, basically the start of the process for all of our EMS services. So it's a record keeping of what goes on. And so... Um, if that call gets doled out to law enforcement, it's where essentially we have all of our data on the call stored. Our police reports, um, our evidence, chain of custody goes in there, you know, all those different types of things. And that those documents all go to court as well, and our prosecutors look at them. And so that's what kind of where that that was at. In addition to that, it's it services the jail in the respect of like property that inmates would come in with um, counts their days in custody it's just a a records keeping system essentially Um, well that came to that current that company came to be sold about a half a dozen times over the last you know since 2011 Mm. and it kind of became like the an end of life uh, type of product for the current uh, placeholder or the current company. And so several years ago, uh, I want to say it was probably back in 2018, 19, uh, we started looking at, you know, what what are we going to do to move forward? So a committee was held uh, with the City of Bemidji Police Department and Beltrami County Sheriff's Office, and we started to look at other products. And we kind of Narrowed it down to a couple of products, and we ended up selecting uh, our current one that we just switched over to, which is called Pro Phoenix. Um, not very glamorous work, like you say, but very much needed. Very time intensive. A lot of work and man hours went into the to the to the formation and the building of this backbone for us. So, a lot of good hard work from Beltrami County employees and this company went into making it what it is. So okay. I know that, uh, you know, even here and, and pretty much any place I've ever worked, 
there are different levels of comfort with technology. And that's, uh, there are people who will take to it like a duck to water, others who will uh, just like a cat. They won't want to get anywhere near it. <laughs> but I've got all facets of that, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I've got guys that are very, very familiar with, you know, that aspect of it. And then I've got guys that just are, you know, they're, they're, we'll call them in the twilight of their career. And they're just like, I don't want to learn something new. And this is a pain, you know, so it's, it, we, we see it all. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, it, it's pretty vital. I mean, you got to have it, right? Right. And you've got to be able to understand it and navigate it. You know, one of the nice things that the public may or may not know is, is, you know, if you go back, prior to 2011, when a call would go out in Beltrami County, and you know, we're talking 3,000 square miles of land, call would go out. If the deputy didn't say where they were at when they acknowledged the call, it was a guess on who was going to go where. Now we can all open our computer screen in our car and see where our partners are at. So we have real-time information all the time of where everyone is located. Hmm whether it's in the city of Bemidji or whether it's, you know, uh, out in the county. And I can hover over an icon of where they're at and I can see the call that they're on and I can see what information has been uploaded to that call. Okay. Nice. Yeah. That, that, that's very, very convenient. Yeah. One of the things you noted is everybody's got their first aid CPR training updated now. I guess, you know, a lot of people maybe don't think, and maybe even those who first think, I want to get into law enforcement, you gotta, you're a first responder. Absolutely, yep. And as a requirement of our peace officer's license, we're required to maintain uh, first aid and CPR every two years. So that's something we just completed uh, on in uh, late January and the 1st of February. We were able to uh, get our entire field operations staff up to date. And that even includes me. Mm. <laughs> I have to attend <laughs> that training. Uh, so, yeah, so we were able to, to, to get that box checked and, and we're all recertified now for infant and adult CPR and, you know, AED and some of the first aid stuff that we deal with, bleeding control. Okay. And, um, and, and that's, I mean, is that, is there beyond that that you guys are required to know or first aid CPR, just the basics? So when we, when you first get your license, there is a, an EMR class. It's a medical response class that's required. Um, but then once you're in law enforcement and you've, you're working for your agency, you're required to maintain a minimum of the first aid CPR. We have deputies and police officers in our community that are EMT certified, emergency medical technician. Um, and some of those guys maintain. I, I at one time was an EMT. I haven't maintained it for a number of years now, just because of the requirements and it just it wasn't a you know a necessity as I got into the supervision side of things more. So I did not maintain mine. But um, yeah, we encourage folks to any additional assets and training that that they can attend to be more uh, service worthy for the public. That's what we want for sure. The Sheriff of Beltrami County, Jason Riggs, um, County Board, approved the issuance of bonds. So here we go. We are set. We're going to be rocking and rolling here this summer, it sounds like, with breaking some ground. So. Okay. So that uh, that's the first uh, phase of getting the funds needed to complete the jail, and uh, we will find out how we're going to do the rest after we find out what the legislature decides here in the next few months. Correct. Yep. Okay. So we have... Uh, 
we're in the third and final phase of development or design and development, mm-hmm. obviously, and that comes with uh, opening it up for bid packages, potentially early bid packages for things like ground groundwork, mm-hmm. which there isn't going to need to be a lot of groundwork out there, but there'll be some. You know, have to pull topsoil and you know that kind of thing. Um, in addition to that, you know, the concrete, anything that would be subgrade could all be bid out a little bit early. So we're, you know, there's potential there for us to be looking at, you know, breaking ground in, in the mid to late summer. So, okay. Um, yeah. And then once the, you know, the issuance of bonds would have occurred anyway, just due sure. to, you know, to, to, to keep the project moving fast. And so that's what we're doing for the first part of it. And then they will have the, uh, the funds rectified here shortly after the legislature opens and we'll. It'll be seamless. <laughs> <laughs> I think we, yeah, I think we're in this smoother sailing portion of the jail project at this point. I am hoping so. <laughs> this last year was a doozy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and you're hiring. So um, what are you hiring for right now? Uh, we currently have openings for uh, bailiffs. We currently have openings for uh, a, a licensed peace officer, so a deputy. Okay. Um, and we have about six or seven openings in our current jail. And this is some groundbreaking stuff, folks. Like when we, you know, we're talking about potentially being into this new facility sometime here, you know, late 26, more than likely early 27. Okay. Um, and being a part of that transition team that is going to take us from our current facility into the future with our with our new facility. It was really cool. I got to take an actual 3D image walkthrough of our plans the other morning. Okay. Um, I don't have a cool enough computer to have my own video card that would see this stuff, but the design and development folks do, and, and uh, it was really neat to walk. Like, you see the, the plans on, you know, a two-dimensional plane of paper. Yeah. And for them to actually, like, bring you down inside your potential jail and walk you through a 3D mock-up of what it looks like, it's pretty darn cool. Oh, that sounds cool. It is. It sounds very cool. Um, when it comes to um, somebody wanting to get into law enforcement, what would you, you know, coming out of college or the, um, the law enforcement school or whatever uh, that route is chosen, what can you expect to be your first job? That is a really good question, Kev. Um, you know, if you would have asked me that when I started, <laughs> you started off with a very small agency as a part-time officer, or you worked in someone's jail, you worked as a transport officer, or you worked in the courthouse. Um, today's market we have got so many, like we're talking the state of Minnesota, and I can assume that this is national, mm-hmm. uh, national level. Um, there aren't a lot of people that are moving into this type of work. And there's, you know, when I was, when I applied with Beltrami County, um, I was one of 80 applicants for one position with Beltrami County, and that was a permanent part-time position. Um the last hiring process that we did, we had three applicants. Okay. Um, City of Bemidji is having those same issues. Hubbard County is having those same issues. We're still seeing very few applicants for the law enforcement 
related positions. And I think a lot of that is due in part to some of the um, national events that have occurred with law enforcement, some of the media that, you know, the some of the media things that have occurred with law enforcement and, and, and some of which to, to, you know, some fault of, of law enforcement, but you know, other things are, I would say that it's just cyclic in that regard. Um, I think that it, we are on a pendulum to come back out of this, but you know, I was looking at a national study on our current workforce and they were anticipating, this was a year ago, they were anticipating it was going to take upwards of 10 years to come back to pre-pandemic mm. uh, worker numbers. Okay. Wow. So, and that, and when obviously that that reflects on on our profession as well. So. Sure. Okay. Need to go on a little journey here because okay. just I got me thinking. We got a, a staff member, <clears throat> excuse me, who's uh, serving jury duty now. Yep. And um, that's kind of like one of the last stages of of. Uh, an incident. Correct. So I'm curious about the, the process. From the time somebody gets a call, let's say it's for a, a potential felony. Okay. From the time that call comes in to the time the case is decided and either exonerated or put into a facility, um, what happens? And how long does it take? It- Depending on the level of offense, it could take. We've had inmates sitting a year in our custody, and much of that is due to their own um, th- their own doing. Um, you know, whether or not they they keep their attorneys or they fire their attorneys, or you know, th- those are those are those are things that can occur. But let's just say you know you you get uh, taken into custody for a. Uh, an assault, and let's say that assault was a, a felony level assault. Um, you know, from the time of the call, probable cause is met. Person is arrested, taken into custody. They have their first initial appearance within 36 hours, uh, exclusive exclusive of weekends and holidays. And so, if you're picked up on a Friday during Martin Luther King weekend, you're going to sit till Tuesday without seeing a judge. Okay. Um, but anyway, you'll have your first appearance, which we call an arraignment, uh, within 36 hours. Uh, the judge decides at that point whether or not uh, to issue bail. And in most cases, bail is issued unless you're a, um, you know, it's a very, very serious offense and there's potential danger to the public. Um, or there's a highly likelihood that the person's not going to respond back to court. And that's due to a number of reasons, right? They've got their access and capability, their finances, those kinds of things. So anyway, um, the case has been put together by law enforcement. It's presented to our county attorney. The county attorney's office goes through. Court is the you know second court is set for you know whatever time frame, whether it's a month or two months out, um, for this individual, um, depending on what occurs. Through that process, there can be some continuances for court, um, but the county attorney at the point where law enforcement is done with the case, we've collected our evidence. Um, they decide whether or not the charge that we've charged them with meets the crime. Uh, 
the intent, all the things that go into it. And then they determine whether or not they're going to reduce those um, charges or enhance those in charges based off of the facts that we've collected. Those cases then uh, will, you know, the, the defense for the subject and the prosecution will have some communication as to whether or not there's any type of plea agreements that would occur. So you're charged with, you know, first degree uh, felony assault, which is very, very serious. Let's say that the 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 defense offers, hey, we'll plead guilty to second degree or third degree. If you if we if we can get this worked out, we don't have to go to trial. The county attorney may decide that that's a good idea. They may not decide that's a good idea. And to, and we're, we have a pretty good relationship where you know we've got those communication lines down, and we generally communicate back and forth as to what's going to happen. Um, if a plea agreement's not met. And a lot of times it's it is or it isn't. It just all depends on the the individual and how you know what kind of a case there is. It will go to either a bench trial or a jury trial. Um, more often than not, in a case like that, it would go to a jury trial. Um, jury duty is you know like even I got selected for jury duty this <laughs> last year at late summer. Huh? I got selected for jury duty. You serve two months on jury duty, and mm-hmm. cases go before. Um, you know, judges in those cases and juries are selected um, through Wadir. And that is a case where, you know, um, the the defense gets to question, the, the, the prosecution gets to question individual jurors out of a pool to determine who would be right for hearing this case. And those individuals can make arguments to the fact that they either want them or they don't want them due to specific reasons. Um, some of those reasons are you know too many of the law enforcement officers or you know the subject involved or you know too much about the case and you've formulated your own opinion of that case. Um, so anyway, the the jury hears the case. They decide guilt or innocence and then sentencing is... Uh, set and the individual goes back to jail or gets released sentencing occurs and then you know usually within a month or two and uh, if it's going to be a prison sentence they can do what they call upward departure and send them to prison prior to uh, the sentencing hearing because they just need to start serving their prison Mm -hmm. time because they know they're getting prison time right Um, so how long does the trial usually last we've had some um, you know a day or two on typical charges. Uh, we've had some homicide trials that have ran close to four or five days. Okay. Uh, some, you know, depending on how much, uh, how many witnesses, how much testimony is taken, um, what kind of evidence has to be presented, how many arguments are made during that time frame. Yeah, it's it can be a process for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, you just described this, um, you know, for. For when you get a call and you, and you and you nab somebody immediately, you, there are crimes that occur where you find out about it later, and there's a whole investigatory phase before there's even an arrest, and that can take. Well, sometimes they never get solved. Correct. We have property crimes, so people have what we call today. We 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 still refer to it as the CSI effect. CSI, the television show, did not do law enforcement <laughs> or the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehensions any favors because what you see on TV is not what occurs. You know, we go to a burglary complaint, and this is a property crime, right? Yeah. Um, 
we go out there and we take swabs of DNA or we go out there and we take fingerprints. Fingerprints with the Minnesota BCA can take years to come back in a property crime because all of the person-related crimes that happen in the state of Minnesota go to the top of the list, and those get added every day. And so hmm. the, the, the property-related crimes just keep getting bounced down. And so, you know, when people say, "Can you are you going to take fingerprints? It's like, well, do you really want me to spread a bunch of black dust around your home and in the event that this might take two or three years to try to solve? And most people probably still would. DNA is a much better uh, collection of DNA. Touch DNA mm-hmm. is a much better method nowadays. However, it's still a property crime. It still takes a lot, long time for them to get to that evidence. Sure. Wow. So yeah, it it does take a little longer than we we've been led to believe. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I remember one of the episodes where a picture was taken off of somebody's retina, and it was a it was a mirrored image, and they were able to see that this guy was pushed into the street or whatever. That kind of stuff does does not happen with the technology that is out there today. <laughs> Well, come on, man. It's, it's so much fun. Right, right. <clears throat> All right. Is there anything else we need to know about what's going on at the Sheriff's Department? Well, I think we've, we're pretty up to date now with the, what's going on currently. Obviously, we're always busy. Uh, yeah. With the warmer weather that we've had, we're pretty busy. Uh, uh, lots of more people out and about. Um, got a little bit of rain, you know, and, and uh, some, some warmer weather. So be safe out there when you're walking. It's kind of like... March, April. I know. I know. It's freezing at night and it's slippery. So, all right. He is Jason Riggs, the Beltrami County Sheriff. Always great to have him in studio. Sheriff, thanks for being here today. Thank you, Kev. I'm Kev Jackson. Thanks for joining us today on Chat Pod, the Chat About Podcast.